All right, I'm going to read to you from um, Ephesians chapter 2, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the whole passage from the Kingdom Translation, and then you know what I'll do. I'll preach the text, and um, we'll see what God has to say to us in this hour. So, so where do you come into it all? Well, you were dead because of your offenses and sins. That was the road you used to travel, keeping in step with the world's present age, in step too with the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is even now at work among people whose lives consist of disobeying God. Actually, that's how all of us used to behave, conditioned on physical desires. We used to do what our flesh and our minds were urging us to do. What was the result? We too were subject to the wrath in our natural state, just like everyone else. But when it comes to mercy, God is rich. He had such great love for us. He took us at the very point where we were dead through our offenses and made us alive together with the king. Yes, you are saved by sheer grace. He raised us up with him and made us sit with him in the heavenly places in King Jesus. This was so that in the age to come, he could show just how unbelievably rich his grace is. The kindness he has shown to us in King Jesus. How has this all come about? Well, you've been saved by grace through faith. This doesn't happen on your own initiative. It's God's gift. It isn't on the basis of works so that no one is able to boast. This is the explanation. God has made us what we are. God has created us in King Jesus for the good works that he prepared ahead of time as the road we must travel. All right, let's dig into Ephesians chapter 2 and see what God has to say. So I'm going to talk to you about, but God. So let's, let's dig in. This is now the English Standard Version, which says that we're dead in trespasses and sins. Now, if you are a theological student, Ephesians chapter 2 is one of the most hotly debated texts between people who are Calvinists and people who are Arminians. I'm not going to enter that debate very deeply today. I'm going to look at the broad sweeps because we need them. We need it. We need to understand that there's a problem. In other words, lots of reasons for pessimism. What are they? Ephesians 2.1 tells us. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Okay, so plenty, lots of reasons for pessimism. And yes, boy, do we live in a time right now, right now, where there's lots of reasons for pessimism. I love this text because it goes right to the heart of them. I want you to remember Paul's writing to a people that are just freshly walking in the glory of the love of Jesus Christ. And he's telling them what had been their history. If you read your Bibles, you're going to come to this idea that we're dead in trespasses and sins. Well, where does it come from? It comes from Genesis 
It comes throughout the scriptures and uh, it's highlighted for us in the gospel account. In Genesis, we find out in chapter one of Genesis or in chapter two and three that mankind was forbidden a tree and said, if you partake of this tree, you'll die. They did partake and death came. Well, there's lots to say about that. I'm not going to go into it all now, but let's, let's look at some of it. This problem of being dead in sin. What does it mean? How do you know people are dead in sin? Well, they live the way the world lives. All right. So right now, what's going on? We're all living in the same world, going through the same things, but there is a course of the world and there's a course of the kingdom. And by the way, one of the things that's beautiful in a time of crisis is lots of people actually resist their own natural inclinations and begin to live in a way that says, no, 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 we have to, we have to think about this thing different. So this is a great time for us because this is a time when, when people are a little bit afraid. Their mortality has come freshly upon them. And they're asking, should they live according to the, to the course of this world? And it's a great time. Do you have an answer? Um, when I was, uh, when I was in high school, I knew what the course of the world was. There was a way of the world. There was a way of Christ. And, uh, the way of the world was easy. And the way of Christ looked hard and miserable. I didn't know that once I entered into the way of Christ, I would find it easy. But he says, you're dead in sins. And what it says, dead in trespasses and sins, following the course of the world. He also says that you're following the prince of the power of the air. How interesting is it that we are now, um, <laughs> we are now dealing with an invisible enemy, an illness, microscopic illness. And it's made us afraid to touch one another and afraid to hug one another and afraid to be near one another and afraid to gather together. And in fact, it's made all those things forbidden. It's really, it's really powerful. The Bible has always said that we have an invisible enemy. Um, so I find some correlation between our attempt to avoid this invisible enemy and the fact that we've always known we had an invisible enemy. We've always known that we had an, an enemy that I love that the, that Paul in Ephesians calls the prince of the power of the air. <laughs> He's airborne. He's invisibly airborne. And what does he do? Well, it's the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. You say, well, what's that? Well, that's what happens to you every time you do something and go, I don't know what got into me. I don't know what took hold of me. I don't know what happened to me. I don't even recognize that guy. Okay, all of these things describe what the Bible calls the natural man. That is to say, man without God. And yes, even people with God can at times act like people without God. But this is a description of people without God and it describes it uh, the spirit of the work of the sons of disobedience. It describes it as the passion of our flesh, the passion, the desires of our body and our mind. 
Uh, if you get involved in this church very deeply, constantly we're going to talk to you about the way you think. Because the way you think controls the way you act. Um, and um, by nature, these were the children of wrath. Um, okay, let's talk about just a little minute in, in, uh, in, light of, in light of our enemy, this coronavirus. Um, nobody knows where this is going to end. Uh, we do know, we know that people are going to die. We know definitively that people are going to die. This morning, um, Fauci, the, the, this voice that has become so familiar to us, was saying as many as 100 to 200,000 Americans uh, could die. That's Americans alone could die. So guess what, guys? We're not going to be here two weeks from now. It's not really reasonable to think that we're going to be gathered here for our Easter, our third day, our resurrection of Jesus celebration. We're going to go through more of this stuff because we're facing what I call here, not only does the human race have no small problem, you and I have no small problem. And that no small problem in the Bible is called being dead in trespasses and sins. Um, the no, no small problem that we're faced with is the reality that for uh, everyone is literally so faced with the possibility of death that the fear of death is controlling literally everything we do. I'm not cursing that. I'm actually saying, hey, this is a moment for people who have the truth to share the truth. People who have the love of Christ to share the love of Christ. People who live in the, in the peace of God to give the peace of God away. It's an incredible moment. From time to time when I'm preaching, you heard me preaching about the kingdom of God. And I'll always say this, and I know people don't know it. This is a moment where you're going to get this. I always say, when you pray for the kingdom to come, you're actually praying for the disruption of everything as you know it. So this is like, wow. We have entered a moment where everything that we know of has been disrupted. And I'm saying to you, that is that can either be to good effect or ill. And frankly, it'll have both effects. It'll have both effects. Because we're faced with no small problem. Now, for those of you who are dialed into the theological issue, some questions for later. That is to say, I'm going to preach on this passage again when it's a more fertile time for me to enter into theological discussion. Today is a time for me to enter into uh, theological exhortation, pastoral exhortation, heartfelt uh, call to our church to say, no, 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 come up here and let's look at things from a God perspective. So when it says you're dead in sin... What does that mean exactly? What can dead people do? What does it mean to exactly to be dead uh, in sin? Not dead to sin, but dead in sin. And what can be done about being dead? So this is a big theological problem. And what happens is this enters us into the debate about what it means to be born again, when a person is born again, how a person is born again. But for me, I like to look at the big sweeps. 
which again, not going to enter the details of this, but the broad sweeps. As in Adam, all died. So there's a big picture of death. And then for anybody who knows their Bible, Ezekiel 37 is a profound picture of death because the valley of dry bones was actually the prophetic picture of the death of a nation and the supernatural resurrection of that nation. The gospel itself is the picture of resurrection. And that's where we go next as we come to this big, big statement. But God. So Ephesians 2, 4. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Parenthetically, by grace you've been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. Powerful, incredible teaching. So let's start here. But God, but God, the whole history of the Bible is utterly summed up in that phrase. And I will have to say to my church for this moment, oh, it's a mess. The economy's tanking. Uh, the, the structures as we know it are, are, uh, endangered. You, some of you are probably afraid of, uh, will order breakdowns. I know some of you are afraid of, is there a sinister plot of uh, the deep state? Is there a sinister plot of uh, uh, other nations? Is there some sinister hand behind all this? And the answer is still, but God. <laughs> it's still, but God. Because listen, if all that's true, it's bigger than you, bigger than me. It's bigger than we are. But... But God, all the way through, Adam, Eve, fell into sin. But God, Abel, murdered by his brother. But God, the people of this world, fallen into whatever that chaos was with the sons of God and the daughters of men. But God, over and over, nations against nation. But God, the people of God divided up against themselves. But God, Israel in in Egypt, but God, Israel in exile, but God. Trouble, trial after trial after trial, hopelessness, Rome ruling the world, but God. So this is just another but God moment. And the people with the mind of Christ are going to say, yes, but God. This is not something to be said with a cocksure attitude, but with a deep, profound confidence that our God is for us and with us and will bring us through this. And listen, some of us may die. And all of us will die. But God, it is an incredible thing to be a believer in Christ and not to be stuck with the circumstances of this present world is all we'll ever have and all we'll ever be. No, listen, I'm living with the hope that 
that the things that have dogged me in this life will one day be put away from me. I'm living with the hope of resurrection from the dead, but I'm also living with hope for this actual present world that God is not finished not finished bringing forth uh, sons and daughters into the kingdom. Not finished doing great things. And so, great upheaval. And a lot of the, the very best prophetic words that I'm getting, are they, they say things like that passage that I prayed about, uh, where God said to the Hebrew believers, yet one more time will I shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. So what we're going through is the shaking of all things. Man, we didn't expect it. Um, I get a little tickled because some people say, well, do you have a reserve fund? Yes, is that going to save me? <laughs> well, it depends on how much shaking there is, doesn't it? And many of us don't. And many of us aren't ready for this. So we're in a shaking. This is one more reason why I say church, church, church. Reach out to your, reach out to your one another. Reach out to your church family. Reach out to uh, let us know how that we can walk with one another, help one another. Because things are shaking, but God, and he's for us. So what does it say about what God? The reason for pessimism is banished by confidence. Again, I say, not by arrogance. Um... Confidence. Confidence is a good position from which to prophesy. Cockiness. This is not a time for prophets to say, see, I told you so. This is not a time for prophets to congratulate themselves on what they know. In fact, I'll be honest with you. People who have that on them, I hardly listen to them at all. I'm constantly listening to the people who walk with a limp, people who speak with a tear, people whose hearts are, are stretched and broken. I want to hear people who are in this thing, man, not people who think they're all above it because they had a dream or a vision. I think if you had a dream or a vision and it's relevant to this hour, let it do its work in you so that when you give it to us, it'll come to us uh, like a finely tuned note. That's come from the skill of years of sacrifice and self-denial so that you can give us something that when we hear it, we don't hear how amazing you are, but we hear the sound of our Father in heaven. We have reasons uh, for pessimism, but it's banished by our confidence because we have sure words like this, but God who is rich in mercy and because of his great love with which he has loved us. His rich mercy, his great love. His rich mercy, his great love. His rich mercy, his great love. Let that be in your words, always. Let that be in your heart, always. Let that bolster you as the waves rock the boat. Rich in mercy, great love. What did he do? He made us alive. And yes, The text tells us he seated us in heavenly places. Uh, I've spent most of my life knowing that, that I know less about what that means, but more in, in recent times. Uh, 
Uh, I used to, when I was a, a younger man, I would say, well, this is a, we're here on earth, but positionally we're in heaven. And I, so it was a proposition to me that, but now it's more than a proposition. It's a, it's a, it's an encounter, it's an experience. We are so in Christ, so one with Christ. His life is so wedded to our life that we have different vantage point, different way of thinking, different way of seeing, different um, way of strengthening ourselves. And so here we are seated with Christ right now in this hour in heavenly places. Oh, let it be that your family shall get the bits of you that are seated with Christ in heavenly places. <laughs> that they can experience us, receive us uh, from that vantage point. So powerfully, we sat down to table last night and so powerful was the was the table prayer that the chaos of the day was just for a moment transcended by a sweet fragrance of a family prayer that came not from earth, but from heaven, not from circumstances, but from relationship, seated in heavenly places. And he, that he um, has demonstrated his kindness. Okay, let's go further. There's more questions about this. Did he make us alive in order for us to believe? That's a, this is, this is for my theological students. Okay. So, uh, there's a question in theology. I mean, if you've never thought of this, this is, this is an aside. This is, this is a theological rabbit for those among us. Did we, did, did being made alive precede believing in Christ? Because there's a whole school of theology that says you have to be born again in order to believe. And a lot more people think that than you realize. So how do we understand this business of making us alive? We'll talk about this on another day and probably not too far distant day. And um, so, so to ask the question, uh, do we understand these things that we're reading? So we're, we'll, we'll dig into that, but I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna just deal with the big things. Works, workmanship, and works. We'll close here with this, this text. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we went from pessimism about what man is like without God to not optimism, but confidence. Confidence is a different thing than optimism. Confidence is a settled piece of knowing. Um, this is the, this is again the family table and the children who knew the, know who they are in the family sit there with confidence by their identity. So that's confidence. And then outcomes. Where's this thing going? For by grace you've been saved. So I call this works, workmanship, and works. All right. Um, there's an old school of thought that says, that, that the Jews believed that they could be saved by doing good works. Just so you know, 
the Jews never believed that. That's actually, that actually had more to do with medieval Catholic theology than ancient Jewish theology. In fact, um, I've met a lot of people who did somehow think that, that um, if they weren't bad, that maybe God would uh, raise them from the dead, take them into heaven when they die. But none of those people that I ever thought like that seemed to think that they could work hard and be good enough because, frankly, most of those people weren't trying very hard. <laughs> so if, if they thought I'd work hard and, and get to heaven, I didn't see it. So um, it's been mostly a modern idea that you can work your way to heaven. But there was an idea that was this, was that by... Uh, that the way you were in God's family was through what's called the works of the law. So that means you ate kosher, you kept Sabbath, and 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 um, and you were and you had you experienced circumcision. Now these works of the law, they were not so much seen as things you did to gain God's merit as they were as identifying expressions of who you were. So you didn't eat a certain way because you were Jewish. So you experienced circumcision because you were because you were Jewish. So you kept Sabbath because you were Jewish. So they were they were simply identifiers that that indicated who you were. They weren't things that tried to accomplish um, your eternal salvation. There really wasn't so much thought about that. Um, there was there was more of this worldly thought than you think. Um, but what Paul had to do was say, he had to say to them, you're not saved by the works of the law, which was to say, Gentiles don't have to become Jewish, keeping the law in order to be part of the covenant family of God. So that's how the works worked in that phrase. By grace, you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. All right. Not a result of works, so that no one, no one can boast. Um, get hold of this. Even if you have a sense of your identity, it's not a ground for boasting. It's a ground for settled peace. It's a ground for not listening to lies. It's a ground for um, walking with your, with your, with your head up in confidence. And not in droopiness. For we are his workmanship. Ah. Works. Works of the law. Workmanship. The work of Christ. Now look what it says. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Ah. All right. So we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. So listen, God created the world and he called it good. And this is new creation. God recreated humanity in Christ. So this is something that is done for us, in us, not by us. So to be a Christian is to be the workmanship of God. It's to be the, the skilled labor of God. I used to, <laughs> I used to hear somebody would say, um, 
don't, don't try claiming that uh, you, you are a self-made man. That's just a commentary on poor labor. He said, no, 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 no. You're created in Christ Jesus. You're his workmanship. The, the new life, the recreated life is the workmanship of God. Now listen, the perfect time for God to do his best work is a time of chaos. Out of chaos, order. Out of despair, hope. Out of death, life. This is a great time for our Lord to be doing his work. For we are his workmanship. Paul says, no, no, we're not a result of what was given in the law by Moses. We're a result of what was done by Christ in us. And then it says, which God, for good works, for good works, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So listen, Paul and the apostles, their passion was not that you would properly uh, keep Sabbath and properly eat kosher. Their passion was that you would walk in the love of Christ, loving one another, serving one another, blessing one another. What an incredible one another time this is. Already people have one anothered me magnificently, bringing meals, checking on me, uh, seeing, <laughs> seeing if I had contracted that dreaded thing, um, praying for us, lots of one anothering. It's what we want to go on. Listen, we, so here's the deal. You were made for such a time as this. This is the perfect time for what God prepared you to do. This is it. This is a time when all the stuff is stripped away. The demands are stripped away. You know what people want most of all from somebody? It's just their love. This is what you want from dad and mom. This is what you want generationally. This is what you want from friends. Just their love. Never been a greater time to give yourself away. This has never been a greater time for the good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, what do we want to do? I say, here we want to see the end from the beginning. Um, seeing the end from the beginning means you can go through a horrible thing and you can see what God's up to. Let's do it with this text. Seeing the end from the beginning means, um, <laughs> but when we were dead... And trespasses and sins, walking according to the desires of the flesh, walking according to the, our mind, walking according to the prince of the power of the air. When we were like that, but God stepped in, what? And then brought something forth out of that horrible thing. God is bringing something forth from lives. God is bringing something forth from people. God is stretching out his hand all over the world to bring something forth. So listen, I don't have time to wonder what the deep state is doing or to be afraid of nations that can control and manipulate currencies and economies. My, I, have, I just have to do what's in front of me. Love neighbors, protect one another, look after the sick, look after people who don't have enough. So that's where we are at a time like this. 
And yes, you betcha, I care about those other things. And I'll speak about those other things. And if needed, I'll die in, in trying to keep those awful things from happening. But what's in front of me is the one anotherness that I'm into. So all this text talked about was his, it was our accomplishments, no good. His accomplishment, perfectly good. Out of which come our real accomplishments. That is the good for which he created us. I'm going to ask this team to come and we're going to finish in a minute here. Uh, like we've been finishing um, lately. Well, no, since our beginning as a church, we have finished with, um, we have finished with the blessing. I've stood up here for years and raised up my hands over you and I have spoken the blessing. Literally, literally, this is amazing, just a week, maybe two weeks before this awful crisis broke, this magnificent song based on the ironic blessing, I think that's what you are all bringing to us, was, uh, was, was released. And the first time I heard it, I was like, I'm never going to be the same. Because I'm like, I've said the blessing a thousand times, and now I've heard it. So listen, what do I, what do I want? I want... Um, I want faith to rise in you. Faith to rise in you. And again, on another day, I'm going to come talk more about what is faith, where does it come from, and how does it work. But for right now, I want to know, what does faith look like right now? Faith looks like you and me responding to God. If you're hearing me speak, this is a moment for you to respond from God, respond to him. You might say, I've been far away from God. You might be somebody who's listening and saying, uh, I, I'm more like that dead man walking than I am like the person that Jesus made. And if that's true, you can call out to him now and say, Jesus, make me new. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, come, make me new. And for all of you who know him, it's a time for renewal. For all of you that know him, it's time for your faith to work. Your faith uh, to not fail. You and I were made for this hour, for such a time as this. So Father, in Jesus' name, we receive the blessing from heaven. And we want the blessing to live in our generation. The blessing of God's presence in the earth. The blessing of God's love in the earth. The blessing of the mind of Christ ruling the people of God. The blessing, Lord, on us, on our children, on our children's children. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.